0: Good vibes. A good evening. Do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. The Knutsons have taken control as to bring you this special
1: show. <laughs> Who are the Knutsons? Only good vibes. Wait, Only good vibes is the blood. Only oh. good vibes.
0: Good vibes. Okay, this is called the Knutson Effect. Hello. the <laughs> oh, next What an upsell. <laughs>
1: How are you fellas doing today? Yeah, we're doing doing really well. How are you doing over there? Uh, we are well. We are well. My wife is still here with me. She's sitting over there in the corner. Hello. Hello. <laughs> What's your wife's yeah, name? Sorry doctor? about yesterday. We kind of got something happened outside and we kind of lost time and focus. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah no problem, no, no problem. Me, me and john just spend our lives on zoom right now dexter so don't worry about it <laughs>
2: okay <laughs> we're never off zoom these days <laughs> and where are you right now dog? dexter are you at home right now
1: yes yes i'm home I'm, we're downstairs in our little studio
2: yeah i'm liking the plaques you've got in the background there that's looking good oh
1: yeah yeah there's plaques <laughs> all over this place trust me <laughs>
0: What what are some of those ones, Dexter? What what are some of your Pride and Joy plaques? Well,
1: uh, right now I got a Bima plaque, an Unsung Hero Award, a number one black single, top hot rack singles. Hold on a second. (laughs) Yes, get
0: the tour. We're getting the tour, John. Oh, Nicki Minaj as well.
1: There's my wife.
0: (laughs) What's your wife's name, Dexter? Judy. Hi, Judy. 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 (laughs) Hello from Glasgow, Scotland. <laughs> oh, thanks for taking time out. Thanks for taking time out, Dexter, to have a chat with us. It's, we don't really know where to begin. You have had a hell of a career, haven't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, wow. still going. You know, I just got done, completed an album under my name featuring some wonderful uh, musicians and singers. And so we're getting ready to try to get that out there, figure out how to do that. And, um, so, and I'm still performing. I was just in London back in early February, London and Paris. Right. At two of the venues there, and we did great shows. They were sold out, and right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got back like February, uh, February the 13th. Right. And had we stayed a week longer, we would not have been able to get back. Wow. deal, Yeah.
2: So have you been still working away in the studio throughout the, the pandemic and keeping yourself busy?
1: Yeah, yeah, we've been taking it easy. And, and really, we've really been playing safe because this is no joke, what, mm, yeah. what the world is seeing right now. Mm-hmm. and it And this virus, it adapts. So I'm finally happy they finally got, you know, new vaccines out there that are getting ready to be released in the next month or two, you know. Yeah. Yeah, So that we can start vaccinating against it and hopefully within a year, year and a half, things will be back to somewhat of a normal. Yeah, yes.
2: <laughs> Finally looking that like there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Be
1: quite, I don't think things will ever be quite the same, you know, no. as long no. as this virus is around because it's sort of like what the flu was. It took us decades to really nail that down and it still adapts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. people, you know, some of the adaptations, the the vaccinations you get don't work as well anymore. You know, so people still get it.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's it. I think it's been a, a time to reflect this year. I think, and a lot of people have just taken time to use it in different ways, haven't they? Try to be as yeah. pro-
1: productive as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I once made it to Edinburgh. Oh
0: yeah, oh, yeah the yeah. capital. Beautiful yeah, yeah. yeah nice. We
1: made it there. We did a show there. It was me, Billy Paul, Jean- and Gene Carn. Yeah, we did oh, a show dear. in
0: Edinburgh. When was and it was an, when an, was an underground
1: city or something that I got to see. Oh, it, the
0: uh, in the vault. Yeah, oh, in the yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It was amazing. And I got my wife one of those Scottish cake coats and oh, she, yeah. to this day she loves it she still wears it and this is like a decade or two later
0: <laughs> <laughs> scotland gets into your heart Dix, or it gets into your
1: scotland heart was wonderful i really enjoyed it and uh, i would have loved to have gotten more out into the countryside and seen that aspect of scotland you know
2: yeah we've got beautiful scenery over here the countryside is amazing
1: yeah i was uh, we were in a we took a train uh, to Edinburgh and um, uh, about an hour hour and a half and to the right we were up in the highlands and it started snowing and the next thing I knew we were stuck for six hours right. on the train in a, a real bad <laughs> snowstorm
0: <laughs> that sounds like Scotland that really does sound like Scotland <laughs> 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 definitely
1: yeah, yeah it was but, wonderful I next, enjoyed next year
0: there. next year Dick, so you'll have to come back over you and Judy and we'll, we'll go up to the highlands again don't
2: worry about that we'll do it all over again
1: all right, Paul. Sounds like a plan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where are you based right now, Dexter?
1: We are based in a little town in Pennsylvania called Elverson, Pennsylvania.
2: All right. Okay.
0: Brilliant. Where, where, where did it all kind of begin for you then, Dexter? Where, where was it you kind of got into the What inspired you to get into the music industry? Where were you starting out? Where did you learn the craft? Then.
1: Well, how I really started was I was. Um, A little as a little boy, I was an errand boy. See you, hon. See you. Bye, Judy. See you, Jason. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. We'll see
0: you next year in Glasgow. (laughs) (laughs) Bye bye. Bye.
1: Happy holiday. Yeah, you too. Uh, So, what happened was I started out. When I was eight years old, I started out being a little gopher boy, a little errand boy at yes. a theater in Philadelphia called the Uptown Theater, which was in many ways like the Apollo in New York or the Regal in Chicago. And it had all of these great uh, black entertainer shows come through because there were very few theaters in the United States like that at at the time because of segregation, you know. Yeah. So it was a real home, good home base, and the um, the uh, music director at the time was called was named Doc Bagby, and he was an organ player, and um, he came up with some really good music. But anyway, he showed me my first chords on the organ. Him and Dave Babe Cortez showed me my first chords, and from there, I just I just would just hang around with all the musicians and. Yeah. Uh, learn and they would show me stuff and um, when the Isley Brothers came through, Jimi Hendrix was their guitar player. Wow. And (laughs) Jimi would show me chords on the guitar and we would hang out together because he was real quiet and uh, other people would show me um, uh, chords on the keyboards um, uh, at the time and um, that's where it all began for me and uh, working with all of those artists uh, was just an amazing. So I, I became a big fan of music and of recording artists uh, as a young mm-hmm. boy, and that's really what got me started.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good influence. He's right there, isn't it? Learning music from Jimi Hendrix is a good <laughs> place to start,
1: isn't it? <laughs> well, my first little chords, I really didn't learn the chords on a guitar like that, but on the keyboard I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he wasn't playing. He said, no, put your fingers like this, play like that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, so then by the time I was in junior high school, I was taking theory, harmony and composition and playing the cello flute and uh, stuff like that, playing in orchestras and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: We're looking over your catalogue of music and it's just, it's unbelievable just the amount of people you've worked with and it just sounds incredible. Who's, who's you think has been your highlights to work with over the years?
1: Well, I don't think there's really been any highlights. I think there's been great friendships for Mm. me in my heart, you know, like, um, I became very close with, um, numerous artists, you know, over the decades, um, um, that became close friends like with Lou Rawls or Billy Paul my kids called them Uncle Lou and Uncle Billy you see what I'm saying yeah. so that was the real highlight yeah. for me you know yeah. and and uh, as a, from a personal aspect mm-hmm. you know Lou, Lou and first Lou, Lou, Say that,
0: Lou Roll's voice, Dexter. How good is Lou Roll's voice, though? That is just like something really special, isn't it? What, what an act he was.
1: Uh, Sure, he was very special. And uh, even early in his career, you know, yeah. he was with a, a gospel group called the Pilgrim Travelers. And on the road, that's how he met Sam Cooke. You know, and Sam Cooke really loved his voice. Yeah. And uh, Sam Cooke has a record called Bring It On Home. Bring It On Home To Me. And it and it's actually two voices. It's Sam and it's Lou. All right, do all know that, you know. <laughs>
2: That's a great song as well. Love that song.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Lou's voice was it, it was amazing, and of course, he had a great career uh, with hits early on, like "Tobacco Road" and "Natural Man." And then when he came to Philly International Records. I got to work with him as a producer, writer, arranger. You know, I got to work on his uh, first album. Actually, when he left PIR, I became the executive producer for that album he did at CBS called Close Company. You know, I put that album together for him, you know. Mm -hmm. And so our friendship uh, was very deep. Um, And his voice was just amazing. You know, if you listen to his voice... He had a, a voice that really expressed how he felt, you know, um, and and that that was that was a, that was always wonderful to hear and, and to feel, you know, was his voice when he sang.
0: There was a realness. There was a, a realness to the to the songs, wasn't there? or just when he when he would sing. It was like he was talking to you. I think wasn't it? There was a realness in the music. Exactly. What what a magical time, Dexter, as well, around that time in Philadelphia, around the 70s. Me and John, we always look back, our generation, and we wish we could have captured a little bit of that magic. And we we just, with utmost respect for that that era and
1: music, it was such a a magnificent time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That PIR was a magnificent time. There were many, and also, what I'd like to talk about to you is that the recording studio in Philadelphia was called Sigma Sound Recording Studios, the most important one. There were other recording studios in Philadelphia that various artists, producers used, but Sigma Sound Recording Studio that was founded by Joe Tarzia uh, was made a historical site the other day in Philadelphia and so many great artists went through there. um, I, I, all the Philly International recording artists recorded at at Sigma Sound Studios. And then other artists went through there from all over the world and recorded there, you know. And I was proud to be a part of their legacy as, yeah. par, as far as what I did um, early on. Like one of my first sessions at Sigma was back in 1972. They had a, a Putney synthesizer, And I was sitting uh, uh, waiting for someone to use me on the piano on a session. And they asked me if I knew anything about the Putney synthesizer. And I said, sure. Of course I didn't, but I went up there. (laughs) (laughs) And I came up with some sounds, took the little pegs and turned the knobs. and came up with some sounds. And before I knew it, they were hiring me at $50 a session to Mm -hmm. program their Putney. You know, and... um, And that's how I really got started at Sigma. And then being there, I got to meet other producers and other members of MFSB and stuff like that and became a member of a group that two of the members of MFSB asked me to join. That was Yellow Sunshine back in 1972. So I joined Yellow Sunshine and it all kind of lifted up from there.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about your kind of love of synthesizers. I wasn't sure where it began or how you actually learned, but I guess you just kind of get stuck in, and because you had access to it in the studio, you just uh, get
1: stuck in. Well, with in- the Putney, I actually had to figure out the Putney on my own. But yeah. when I got the ARP 2600 from Al Perlman back in 74, yeah. he would get on the phone with me and kind of give me directions of how to, you know, coordinate the AD- ADSRs with the oscillators or the. Yep. Envelope generators, you know, and, and that was a great synthesizer because it was a suitcase synthesizer. It was still monophonic, yep. but it was great. The tones and the sounds you could get out of it were yeah. incredible, you know. Yeah. And I used to help Bob Moog's people set up their synthesizers when they would come through Sigma because, you know, they had uh, uh, modules that had to be plugged in, you know, yeah. like that, yeah. and separate, you know, and then had to be stood up, you know, so... Yeah, and I had fun doing that, too. So synthesis was really what got me started. Yeah, now yeah. You
2: were one of the, the early adopters of the synthesizers and actually putting them on recordings and doing some great things with them, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were people back in the late 60s, and the 60s, that were doing synthesis, but not too many. You know, mm, uh, yeah. Walter Carlos. Um, I think it's on my, my little bio that Judy made or sent you guys. So I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I love synthesis, uh, and I became a big fan of Aiseo Tomita. Mm-hmm. He was he was a synth- synthesis from Japan, and he um, did an album called "Snowflakes Are Are Dancing," which was um, he he did the works of. Um, the composer that did Claire de Lune and all that stuff. I can't think right now of of Mm. the names, but uh, I love that album and it really solidified my interest in synthesis. And when I got to PIR, the one thing I realized at PIR, they had uh, some of the greatest uh, orchestrator producers working out of there, like, um, uh Gamble and Huff and um who owned PIR and uh, Tom Bell who was a producer arranger that was just unbelievable and Bobby Martin of course you know that did all of his arrangements early on for Gamble and Huff and I and and I knew that I really couldn't kind of compete with what they did because I mean all that stuff was just so amazing what Tom Bell did with the um uh stylistics and the spinners and what uh, Bobby Martin did with uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes and the OJs, those arrangements are totally incredible. So yeah, yeah. I, I, what I did starting out as an arranger, when Billy, Bill, Billy Paul always said to me, you know, I think that kind of makes you different. So I really tried to incorporate synthesis with my orchestrations and arrangements that I wrote, which helpfu- helpfully – did make me a little different and the producers would try that out sometimes they'd like it yeah. sometimes they wouldn't you know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but... So mixing synthesis with my uh, with my orchestrations and arranging really helped me identify and uh, give me uh, an identity.
0: Yeah I, th- I think it was the way you used the synths in such an mm. atmospheric way as well it created a real feel underlying the track as well rather than just using them to to accommodate other instruments they kind of created this vibe and this great feel that still sounds timeless even to listen to today sounds as fresh as ever i feel so i think you've done a good job considering you were just messing around on them dexter you've done a good job
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i had to um i tried to i tried to be different so when you listen to stuff i did with mfsb or the jones girls or my own albums or billy paul you know Yep. You'll hear a difference. You'll hear yeah. synthesis that yep. you won't hear on um, on most of the other tracks, you know, unless I helped a producer, unless a producer asked me to do synthesis for them or write their arrangements or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: You must have an impressive collection of synthesizers by now as well over the years. I, like I, had, uh,
1: I had about nine different synthesizers, but they're all gone. Mm-hmm. I didn't collect uh, – uh, I didn't um, – uh, I didn't keep them. I passed them on, you All know, right. to people that wanted them, you know, that wanted to be, uh, to use them or, you know, have them. Mm-hmm. Same way with other instruments. I had other gu- uh, guitars. I used, I used to play guitars on sessions, and I don't do that anymore, of course. Um, oh. And I passed those on too. And um, And besides, oh. I really think that software synthesis has done a good job really coming up with the sounds. Most of the yeah. keyboards you get now have presets, that give you, that you can alter to create sounds you mm-hmm. know yeah yeah i was and, actually
2: want to ask you about that with with the amount of experience that you have with synths like how do you compare listening to the old hardware synths with the new software synths do you think it's just as comparable now as it was then
1: well there of course is a difference between analog and digital you know what i'm saying like plugging a synth into a system to make it work is one thing but having it come out of a di digital piece of equipment is another thing, you know, but I, I think that over the years it's come together, you know, in ways that uh, allow me to continue to work without having to go through. Don't forget early synthesis was monophonic. Mm -hmm. That means that, that you had to play one note at a time, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and and, and make it work that way, you know, and of course then polythonic, poly or, you know, where you could play more than one note at a time. The first synthesizer I had where I could play more than uh, one note at, at a time was the uh, Oberheim, the oh, 4 Voice. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I could play four notes at one time. <laughs> that was <laughs> back in 76, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also
2: not being able to save presets either. So you've always got to remember <laughs> no, where preset, the
1: second <laughs> Yeah, No, it had modules built in right there and you had to, of course, you know, do the modules. But I'm going to tell you something. When Bob Moog... Uh, put out that mini Moog, that really changed a lot of things, you know, because yeah. the mini Moog, uh, people really loved the sound of the basic sign. And then the, uh, the bass sounds you could get and create out of it. All the R and B groups at some point started using those mini Moog sounds. And to yeah. a great degree, some of the um, uh, ARP sounds. But yeah. when Yamaha came out with that first uh, sense keyboard, that, that really changed the game because then you could, <laughs> get uh orchestral sounds horns and strings and winds and stuff like that you know along with synths and piano and organ all on wooden keyboard <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: you know? yeah.
1: so, so that was real helpful especially with you if you didn't have a budget to bring in strings and horns you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which kind of like uh changed the game
0: yeah i think as as the music technology started to progress and roll into the sampling era of the 80s and things and it just created a it flipped the whole music industry upside down. I think, didn't it? As the yeah, technology yeah. progressed, what a what a change! Eh?
1: Sampling, <laughs> sampling really changed the game big time. Because, yeah. and I understand why. Because people couldn't afford, a big productions. You know where you had many many players and many many you know instrumentalists and stuff like that. If you sampled something that you liked, and if you added uh, some basic drums to it, you could rap to it, you could sing to it, and you'd have your own sound, you know. Yep. And unfortunately, early on, samples did not pay for the for the writers that that created the music. You know, it wasn't until the early 90s that legislation was created where sampling had to be licensed, yep. you know, so that people could get paid. And that's, that's a good thing. I have a track... Um, called A Thing from the Planets, the intro that um, Daryl Brown, the great drummer that I worked with early on, yeah. who has recently passed away, um, that's been sampled. Uh, um, Sony says it's been sampled over 500 times, but other people say it was sampled that much, if not more, early on before licensing, you know? so Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, your music
2: has been sampled so much by so many other prolific artists as well, you know, like the Chemical Brothers, Jay-Z, KRS-One. You know, there's so many people have taken inspiration from your music and and kind of done their thing with it as well, which is, is an amazing thing as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, for all of us who have been a part of the music, all the mu- musicians and singers and producers and writers and in studio engineers. It's so important that uh, our music is still a part of of what people want to hear, and uh, no matter which way they hear it, you know. Mm, yeah. And I I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really exciting time in music again because we're looking back towards all that, that great effort and all the, the standard that was set in this, throughout the 70s and trying to maybe capture a bit of that magic again. You know, the sampling thing still gets used, obviously, in its own way, but I think that people are trying to incorporate the live musicians again and just capture a bit more of that magic again and write original material, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's, I think it's wonderful. I yeah. think that I'm hearing a lot of new young groups out there that are real groups as opposed to you know um, a, sa- a sample process you know where they've played their own instruments and and vocalized and s- some of that stuff sounds incredible and I really like it you know. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. But what, what do you think in the modern era then Dexter with this whole uh, the way we stream music and the way we actually access music you know and I know there's a lot of kind of questions asked about people getting dues again and getting their, their royalties paid because it's it's so accessible now but there's not a lot of money generated from the way people listen to music now is there it's such a different era
1: well it is it is financially it's a bit more difficult but at the same time streaming it's has found its way yeah and i think this new generation streaming has become even more important you know, than going out and getting CDs or anything like that. It's like a lot of the artists, the big artists that go out there, like my son was telling me one day that um, how one of the artists, he he produces, uh, um, I can't think of her name, Ariana Grande. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when she goes out, she tries to sell CDs, and that doesn't work quite as well, but some drives works great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> So I'm saying, sometimes, really. Oh, well, that's that. <laughs> that's interesting. But yeah, streaming, streaming has um, really kind of taken over, you know, yeah. in, in great ways because people are on their phones, they're on their pads, yep. they're on their computers now more than ever, and that's not going away. Mm-hmm. But at least company, uh, the the um, the sources out there that collect. Licensing's and stuff like that are getting on top of it now you know more so than they were 10 years ago or even five years ago for that matter you know so it's it's becoming a new source for uh, artists and uh, well mainly right now basically uh the writers Uh, but now there's legislation out there that, that will allow artists to get paid too you know okay uh, because generally, when something gets played on the radio or, or streamed, it's the writers and the publishers that get money for the most part, unless it's on TV. If it's on TV, then licensing has gone up to where the producers get some money now, you know, before producers weren't getting any licensing. Yeah. And, um and uh, I, I think even artists now can get some some um, licensing fees from uh, pr- productions, movies, TV shows, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, seems almost
2: that. like the with how accessible that music is now through streaming services, it's almost kind of devalued in a sense, like in a monetary sense. But that, I mean, the artistic credibility and the artistic value is still there, but in terms of... People actually making a living from it. It seems to be a lot more difficult now than what it may have been before.
1: Well, I, I agree with you, but then uh, there's one thing I can say about that. Yes, I agree. I think I think that for artists from say like my my time and or up until the 2000s. Uh, yeah, it's more difficult for us to get performances and stuff like that based on streaming or uh, streaming helping us. But some of these new artists, mm-hmm. uh, streaming is everything. Okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? For some of the new artists, if you don't get streamed and if your album doesn't pop up on Spotify or iTunes or, you know, that way, or one of those geezer or whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah. then you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, <that's>
1: true. <laughs> you're not going to sell any records and you're not going to sell any tickets. So, mm, yep. you know, there's good and bad in everything. I, I think for an artist like myself, streaming, of course, isn't really helping, you know, mm, yes. but for a brand new artist who can get out there, who can promote their stuff, you know, get on TV or come off of a, Winning um, uh, one of the shows—what uh, are yeah. they called, those shows? You know, don't ask uh, us. We don't. We don't know. Talent <laughs> or whatever. Britain has talent, you know. Yeah. Um, X Factor. <laughs> right, right. And then if you win, of course, people are going to stream your stuff down. They're going to yeah. go on their phones. And,
0: <laughs> <Yeah. Such laughs> so a stuff
1: such and the next thing you know, you're selling out concerts, you know? Yeah. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's just such a different era now with the, the social media driven world, isn't it? And it's great in some ways because look at us having a chat all the way from Scotland to yourself over there.
1: The you there you go. <laughs> yes, like I say, there's good and bad in everything. That's my opinion. There's good yeah, and yeah. bad in everything.
0: Definitely. And I think people are valuing the, 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 the process of writing music a lot more again now and actually physically holding on to music because I think records have actually sold better this year than they have in a long, long time. You know, I think there's actually a lot of people, because me and my girlfriend, we collect records still. We love records, you know, but uh, I think there's people putting value in physically holding on to something and actually right. listening to it that way, you know, so it's kind of going full circle again,
1: I think. Right.
0: Right. See, like streaming, streaming is here to stay. I think, isn't it? That's not going anywhere. Yeah,
1: it's not going anywhere. <laughs>
0: Definitely not. And
1: before you know it, you'll be able to sit in your chair, reach up in the air, and tap on something, and and start watching videos and hear music. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a scary world, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. So. So what, what, what's next then, Dexter? What, what, what have you got? What, how can people support what you're up to now? And where, where can they learn more about what you're doing just now? Because there's such a real resurgence in love for the music now. And people enjoy watching the show. And they love learning about the history of the music. So where can they learn more about what you've been up to and what, you're, what you've got coming up?
1: Well, okay. So like I said, I had worked on this album. And so I'm going to put it out. And I'm going to put out... I got a Christmas single out already that I kind of quietly released last year just to see what people would, how people would think of it. It's features of a uh, vocalist. Her name is Latrice. And mm-hmm. and I wanted to do a Christmas song that was basically about what people thought about Christmas and how it affects them, you know? Really? So it's called Christmas is Love. Uh, it's online. You know, you can go to Amazon or iTunes or Spotify, or whatever, and listen to it and get it you know, but this year I'm a promoted. I, I did no marketing or promotion last year. This year I'm looking online for companies. In other words, I kind of don't want to go with a major distribution. I want to try independent distribution. I Don't get me wrong. The majors are great. They do a wonderful job, but it was tough for me as the years went on linking with them and, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing at my age, it's, it's no longer relevant for them. But I want to try to keep my music relevant as as far as finding uh, di- different resources in which yep. to mm-hmm. promote, market and, and release my music. So that's the process I'm starting up now.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And where can they find out more about that? You're just going to look at opening the website up, and uh, and they can.
1: Well, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and start working on my website. I'm like I said, I'm re-releasing the Christmas song, and I will. And this year, I will market and promote it, um, and hopefully, it will find a, a place. I can find one of those online services that will help with that process, and. Then I'm going to, in the early spring, put out the album. I'm going to do another single release, too. I've done, uh, the guy that goes with me and does vocals on the live shows is named Damon Williams. Right. And um, um, he um, was the last signed recording artist at Philly International back in the 80s. So um, the late 80s, early 90s, I'm sorry, early 90s. Right. And we travel together and do shows together. Um, and he's singing us a couple of the songs on the album. And the next single release, the very next single release I do, it's called This Is My Story. I'm going to send it to you. Right. I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. going to email it, the single. I just edited it the other day Robin. from an album length down to a single. And what I wanted to do with that song was I wanted to mix the sound of classic R&B. With the sound of newer R&B, you know, which is more hip-hop-flavored, but I wanted to mix the two together. Bro, we- so I'm going to send it to you, and I want to get your opinion, okay? No, it sounds good. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to email it to you. you. Give me your email address or text me your email address, and I'll send it to you within the hour, and you fellas can listen to it Bro, and give know. me your opinion, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and I'm trying to marry two, two – ages together <laughs> <laughs> ah, that sounds
0: incredible that sounds incredible God, well, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so and i and i hope it works yeah <laughs> you great. know you, you sound and more I'm inspired guys doing all the little background parts and he's doing the lead, all the lead parts yeah. and um i think he's a phenomenal singer and and so uh, you'll let me know what you think.
0: Sounds mm-hmm. good. We'll always support you next and what you guys, what you're up to and things like that. We'll always show our support and try our best to, that's the reason we get guys like yourself on, for a chat <laughs> on here, just to support the musicians and, and just and spread the history and just try and uh, help educate people who are getting into the music now, who maybe didn't realize where it came from and what the backstory was, you know? So we'll always do our best to support.
1: I really appreciate that. I really do, fellas. Uh, it, it really means a lot. Um, uh, you you folks over there have been extremely supportive of, of of cultural music for many many decades, you know. Yeah. And I, I I for one am so happy that that continues to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Thanks. Th- can I ask as well? What what kind of advice would you give to like young maybe aspiring producers that are maybe starting to mess around with a bit of synthesis and things like that as well? Is there any advice you would give to people out there that are, are just getting into it?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is do your homework, you know, find, you know, study up on the history of synthesis as far as that's concerned, um, you know, from the Ars Martinet uh, to the Sir, Sir, Sermon to um, yep. Moog to Arp and so forth and so forth, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then listen to the sounds, you know, study the sounds, find out what a sine wave is all about, find out what oscillation is all about, so forth, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to your keyboards, find what makes you, what, what rings a bell to you, you know, mm-hmm. and then try to develop that. Mm-hmm. And once you think you have it at a good place where you think you can really use it, then do that. Just don't, you know, cut a record and say, OK, well, I got a sound here and, and that's it. Yep. Do, do some studying, mm-hmm. you know, learn learn about the sonics that will make you feel best you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying yep. because you, you, it, it's what's inside of you that you're going to have to share with the world what what you feel about a sound how you project the sonics it's what's going to make you different or acceptable or not not acceptable yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> know and that way you learn through the process you learn through your mistakes but you also learn through success you know yeah and and that's the best I can way I can put it. That's brilliant probably advice. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Yeah, about- <laughs> Brilliant.
0: No, thanks a lot for taking time out to actually have a chat with us. I was going to say, see it in that studio over there. If you ever come across an old dusty synthesizer that, uh, slipped through the night, <laughs> you, you make sure you give me and John a call about that. Okay. And we'll take that off your hands. All right.
1: <laughs> you know, there's a, the guy that I worked with in February, um, who was the MD and bass player on our, sh- our shows at the, um, at the jazz cafe in London and the new morning in Paris, his name is er- Ernest McCone, right? And and he has. I'm sending you a picture that he sent me. Yeah, he yeah. has all the synthesizers, right. like on. like <laughs> like on display in a room at his house. And I'm like, oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> we need to, John. We need to go, John, we're the time. We, need,
2: we need to bring you a brother as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah all right fellas well thank you for having me i really appreciate now don't forget i'm gonna send you yep uh, and i really want a response what you think okay because i'm I'm really trying to marry two two ages together you know and you'll hear it you'll hear the old and you'll hear the new you know and just let me know what you think and i'm still trying to write songs and produce (laughs) hopefully
2: we'll see you back in the uk at some point after all this pandemic
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was supposed to do a bunch of stuff last year, but uh, I mean, I mean, uh, th- not last year, this year, but it all got canceled. You know, I yeah, was going to do Camp Soul in oh, the UK. Yeah. I was going to do a few <laughs> other things. Go right. back to the Jazz Cafe. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh, Ronnie Scott's had reached out. You know, yeah, so yeah. all these places had reached out, and I, we all got shut down. Yeah.
0: Next year, Dexter, you come over, we'll go to the Highlands, we'll all go together. Me, John, you and Judy, we'll have a great time.
1: Well, listen, I would love to come back to Scotland. So if you know of a promoter over there, please, please link him up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Now you
1: take care of yourself. Look, 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 a good idea would be to go online. Uh, because all these people that were in the audiences, they made videos and post them on YouTube of the shows of yep. some of the so- songs we did at the Jazz Cafe or at the New Morning so go take a look see
0: definitely No, thanks a lot Dexter it's been an absolute pleasure and we're honoured to have you taking time out to have a chat to us and just tell us a little bit more about that magnificent era and what you're up to now you're you're more inspired than you've ever been by the sounds of it I think you don't stop (laughs) no I don't stop (laughs) (laughs) well you take care Dexter we'll chat to you again soon my friend All right. happy holidays
1: blessings and peace take care